This morning we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Peter, specifically verse 3. And Peter writes, he says, You husbands, he says, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is a, a study that we've been in as we've been looking through uh, this section on humble submission in the family. I think this is part five or six. I've actually lost track because we had so many messages on the first six verses. But we want to dig in and see what God says here. This is of great importance for us because we need God's truth to inform us about his design and his plan for marriage. Martin Luther, as you know, the, who nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the church at Wittenberg in 1517, in fact, we'll celebrate that next weekend, uh, was a German monk who um, had many disagreements with the Roman Catholic Church, as you know, and, and nailing of that 95 thesis was symbolic of the beginning of what uh, turned into be the Reformation. And uh, he has written in uh, many different works, and this little book that I've got called Held in Honor, uh, Wisdom for Your Marriage, from voices of the past. And so there's a number of different reformers, uh, Richard Baxter, another Puritan. There's a lot of Puritans in here that have commented on the subject of marriage. And Martin Luther, um, five years after he uh, nailed those 95 theses, he actually wrote uh, a work from which this little excerpt is from. But uh, what few people know is that... um, he married a runaway nun <laughs> eight years after um, uh, he, he uh, wrote those and penned those and, and posted those 95 theses. And it was an interesting thing because um, until then, um, spiritual leaders were all celibate. They didn't have wives. <laughs> um, you had the Roman Catholic Church was pretty much the dominant uh, uh, position. And so uh, they hadn't seen a significant spiritual leader who was also a husband and a father. But it's interesting what he says uh, here. He says, this is the excerpt is titled, What the World Says About Marriage. He writes this, he says, in order that we may not proceed as blindly, but rather conduct ourselves in a Christian manner, hold fast first of all to this, that man and women and woman are the work of God. Keep a tight rein on your heart and lips. Do not criticize his work or call that evil which he himself has called good. He knows better than you yourself what is good and to your benefit. As he says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. There you see that he calls the woman good, a helper. If you deem it otherwise, it is certainly your own fault. You neither understand nor believe God's word and work. See, with this 
statement of God, one stops the mouths of all those who criticize and censure marriage. For this reason, young men should be on their guard when they read pagan books and hear the common complaints about marriage, lest they inhale poison. For the estate of marriage does not set well with the devil because it is God's will and work. I'm sorry, it is God's good will and work. This is why the devil has contrived to have so much shouted and written in the world against the institution of marriage to frighten men away from this godly life and entangle them in a web of fornication and secret sins. Indeed, it seems to me that even Solomon, when he was speaking against such blasphemers, when he said in Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. What is this good thing and this favor? Let us see. The world says of marriage, brief is the joy, lasting is the bitterness. Let them say what they please. What God wills and creates is bound to be a laughing stock to them. The estate of marriage is something quite different <clears throat> from merely being married. Now the ones who recognize the estate of marriage are those who firmly believe that God himself instituted it brought husband and wife together and ordained that they should beget children and care for them. For, th for this they have God's word, and they can be certain that he does not lie. They can therefore also be certain that the estate of marriage and everything that goes with it in the way of conduct, works, and suffering is pleasing to God, end quote. He says a lot here. What he starts off with saying is that marriage is a good thing. Our society often doesn't view it that way. Why? Because they have misperceptions, misunderstandings. They fail to yield to God's word to know what God says about the institution of marriage. And I like what he says there, that young men should be on their guard against all the kind of stuff that doesn't mirror what God says about the institution of marriage. As he says, lest they inhale poison, because it is, it's poisonous. It really ruins and, and brings a, a blight on what God has ordained to be a blessing, what God has called good, what God has, has instituted himself and is a reflection, really, the marriage relationship of Christ and his love and his marriage to the church. So what we see in, um, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we've looked several weeks at the woman's role, but we've kind of picking back up where we left off in verse 7 as we look at the, the teaching that Peter gives us to the husband. How humble submission should flesh itself out in his life. He says, in the same way. In other words, the husband's role is a sacred role. It is equally important in, uh, uh, in his duty, in his sacred duty, just as the wife's duty of submitting to his leadership. Uh, we saw in verses 1 through 6 that uh, wives are to be submissive to their husbands even if they're disobedient to the word. This is an honoring to God. This is what honors God. And so here he tells us, likewise, men, husbands, this is what honors God in the marriage relationship. 
This is how you bring glory to God in your marriage. The husband is to show submission to God in a visible, tangible way that reflects a transformed life in the way he treats his wife. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. We saw that last time uh, as, as part of these obligations that the Spirit of God places through the Apostle Peter upon husbands. In 1 Peter 3, 7, we're going to find four obligations, and I'll review the first one because we looked at that last time. Four obligations of the husband to his, his wife. They're essentials that we must come under. And we saw last time that the husband must become a learner. Husbands must become learners. He says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an, uh, the NAS says, in an understanding way. It's literally according to knowledge. To live according to knowledge. And this living according to knowledge will find its expression in how the husband views his wife, interacts with his wife, how he leads her, how he responds to her. A husband must become a learner. He, he needs to know his role properly. He needs to know his wife. He needs to know a lot of things. He needs to know about biblical femininity. He needs to know what the scriptures teach about his role and how he is to lead. He needs to know what the Bible says about sin and God's remedy for it. He, he needs to, we saw last time, according to Psalm 127 and 128, he needs to be a man who fears God above all else. In other words, when, the, when the, the, the world is against you and your sinful flesh is, is getting the best of you and, and there's others in the world that are persecuting Christians and, and uh, criticizing the way in which you live for Christ, he says you need to be men who fear God above all else. Why? Psalm 127 and 128 says uh, that God will bless that family. God will bless that relationship. God will bless the, the wife. It says that she will be like a fruitful vine in your house. Your children like olive plants around the table. Speaking about God's blessing. And so men are commanded to be those who understand how to live in marriage. I, you know, the world tells us, well, you can't understand marriage. You can't understand a woman. You know, you just need to do this. You just need to grin and bear it. You just need to get through this. You just... You know, you need a car, men, you just need to carve out some sort of happiness for your life, find some sort of hobby, build your little man cave in your house, that sort of a thing, so you can, you know, find some sort of uh, peace and, and, and satisfaction in the marriage. It's just crazy. It's not what God designed. Certainly not what Scripture teaches, it's what the world teaches. Men need to know, men need to learn. We saw from Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ so loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water of the word. We see that a husband is to bring a redeeming and sanctifying influence to the relationship. It's not the wife's responsibility to be the spiritual leader in the household. It is the husband's responsibility. He is to bring a redeeming influence. 
You say, well, what if the wife's been a Christian many years and the husband's been a Christian six months, a year, two years? He doesn't know as much. It doesn't matter. He needs to be be a redeeming influence. And so men are to study God's word, to know how to deal with, with sin in their own heart and in their own relationship and then in the life of others. And men that fail to learn God's truths end up relying on all kinds of little, you know, little helps. I call them little ditties, you know, little tricks and things to, you know, somehow get by in marriage and to survive marriage. You know, well, make sure you buy your wife flowers or make sure you buy her some chocolate or you make sure you do this and make sure you do that. While those things may be helpful if men don't understand the principles and don't truly love their wives and are sacrificial, I mean, some wives don't like chocolate. (laughs) Some wives don't like flowers or cards. They like other things, like take them shopping, get their nails done, do something else. But you need to know your wife. You need to learn her. But this is what what happens is is men enter into marriage and they know, you know, this little thing and they've got this kind of example, which probably isn't great from their parents or grandparents. And they've got, you know, some sort of ideas about marriage and how it's supposed to work from, you know, movies and uh, Oprah and whoever else, you know, (laughs) doctor, whatever. I don't know who it is, Phil, whatever. And, and really what you're doing is you're willfully ignoring, whether willful, willful ignorance or willful neglect, Christian men will have trouble in marriage if they fail to learn God's truth and learn to lead in it. Imperfect as you are, as fallen as you are, as needy of, of God's grace that you are, you still have to lead. Men need clarity from Scripture. Men need answers from God's Word. Men need to know what the Bible says about biblical femininity. Most men don't even understand or know what we've just looked at in uh, verses 1 through 6 about a woman's femininity and how God designed a woman and the marriage relationship in particular and what roles God has given to each partner, how we're equal but how we're also different. I mean, it's foolishness to say that you just can't understand a woman when we got a whole 66 books of the Bible that tell us and teach us and illustrate for us God's design and God's blessing and what he expects in marriage and what he expects for our roles in marriage. Men need to also know their wife in particular. I know my wife. My wife knows me. I know her strengths and weaknesses. She knows mine. Um, uh, I, I need to learn what burdens her, what, what burdens she carries and how she does carry those. Uh, I need to know how uh, and when she struggles. And I need to be uh, a, a complement and a counterbalance to that. So, men, you, you have to live with your wife in an understanding way. You have to be a learner. Uh, you can't just, you know, uh, meet someone, uh, show interest, start dating, uh, get engaged, get married, and then think, okay, mission accomplished. That's just the launch pad of a lifetime 
of learning and growing and discovering uh, one another's backgrounds. I mean, that's the way God designed it. He made us unique. He says, a, a, a wife shall leave her father and mother and be joined to her husband, right? Husband, he's going to form a new um, family unit where we discover all kinds of things about one another. And those things are are to be enjoyed and not hated and not despised. The second thing we see here is that a husband must protect, nourish, and cherish his wife so that she flourishes. Notice what he says. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. And we talked about this last time. What does he mean by weaker? Obviously, Women can't, uh, you know, jump as high and, and, and run as fast and, and lift as much weight as, as men can because God designed men and women differently. Um, but a wife is in a very vulnerable position being submissive to her husband. As fallen human beings, we are all vulnerable and dependent upon God's grace and and ultimately subject to his ultimate protections according to his will and purposes. Notice that it, he says, as with someone weaker, it's a comparative, which implies that both husband and wife are frail instruments in God's service, but the wife is viewed as weaker because of nothing inherent in her, but because of her role. How God has designed her to be submissive. And I've said this on, on a number of occasions. The son submits to the father. The son is no, in no way inferior to the father, is no way less than the father. The father, Jesus said, and I are what? One. We are one and the same. And husband and wife... You likewise are one and the same. You are equal inheritors of salvation. You are uh, uh, both capable of intelligence and reasoning and knowledge and, 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 and ability according to your design. And so the wife is particularly vulnerable. She's the vulnerable of the two genders. God designed men to be masculine. God designed men to lead things. God designed men to protect things. Uh, we see from Genesis chapter 2 that God created Adam first. Gave him responsibilities. Put him in the garden. Gave him a job. Gave him a moral uh, test. Gave him moral truth. To which he implied shared with Eve once God created Eve. But she is feminine. And she needs to flourish in her femininity. And so a wife's submission to her husband doesn't imply inherent inferiority, but I like to use the term vulnerability. She's vulnerable. She's not spiritually weaker. She is vulnerable. And she can be open to exploitation. Women sometimes fear being submissive to their husbands because they fear that they're going to take advantage of them. And while they shouldn't be fearful, I can certainly understand their concern. Women can be taken advantage of, and they are taken advantage of. 
Women are made equal with men in blessing, equal in intelligence, equal in ability to reason and to know things. Women are not spiritually inferior to men. In fact, in Galatians 3.28, there, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul is, is dealing primarily with the Jew and Greek issue, but he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. He's talking about gospel, spiritual realities, and he says this, there is neither male nor female. For you are all, what? One in Christ Jesus. So as Christ saves us, we, there's, no, there's no inherent inferiority with a woman. We've said this on numerous occasions. She is capable of finding answers in God's Word. She is capable of wisdom. She is capable of, of bringing wisdom to the relationship, to the family, to the parenting, to the children. And she should. And yet she's made different than a man. God designed her as a true companion for the man. We saw that in Genesis 2.18. God declared Adam's need. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Behold, I will make him, I will make for him a helpmate suitable, a companion suitable. And again, this is God's all-wise plan. Of, of all the ways that God could have created mankind. I mean, He's God. He exists. There's, there's nothing created, and yet He could have designed and created in any infinite number of ways. And yet He chose to create man and woman. He chose to create humankind, mankind, as male and female, man and woman, not man plus man or woman plus woman, but man with a unique role and a unique genetic makeup to suit that role and, and his God-given design and purposes of God and a woman with a unique role and a unique genetic makeup that suits her God-given role. We're equal, but yet we're very different. And those differences, what Peter tells us, is to be enjoyed and appreciated and honored and not despised. The two are compliments to one another. God designed it that way. And when a man and a woman come together in a one flesh relationship in marriage, listen to me, beloved, God's perfections, his glory, his, his genius, his wisdom is on display. And this is why this is so important. Peter is talking about how we are in our various situations are to glorify God, honor God, even as these Christians that he's writing to are being persecuted. He says, look, you need to focus on these things. Why? Because when you do these things, this is what honors God and brings glory to him and is a testimony to an unbelieving world. Man needs a companion. He needs a helpmate. The woman needs a husband, a leader, and that is typically the norm in Scripture unless God uh, uniquely gifts one for singleness. You know, I know some people who are single have just kind of like given up, you know, like, oh, well, whatever, and they try to reason that they've got this gift of singleness, and then I ask them, I was like, well, you des do you desire to be married? Well, oh, yeah, sure. It's like, okay, you don't have the gift. <laughs> Keep praying. <laughs> And get about learning what God says. Because God can bring a spouse into your life just like that. 
And as I often ask, are, are you prepared for this relationship? What do you bring to the table? Do you understand God's design? Do you understand what this means to be married? What are you able to bring to the relationship? I like what Deeb and Hebert says. It's just a short sentence, he, but it's just so profound. He says, both husband and wife are God's handiwork designed for each other. There, there's, there's the infinite wisdom of God and how he has made every specific aspect about a woman to be that which complements the man and everything, every specific aspect about a man that's to complement the woman. It's God's handiwork. And notice, he adds this little phrase. He says, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. He didn't have to put that there, but he just, he puts it there because he wants us to be reminded of her femininity. A wife, a a woman is created uniquely by God and is designed by God to flourish under her husband's servant leadership. Husband is not to take advantage of his wife's vulnerable position, but he is to protect it, to, to act and to think and to, to function in such a way as to protect her and to protect her femininity. One writer says this, he says, Christian knowledge will accord the wife all the consideration and the thoughtfulness which God intends for her as a weaker vessel in the wifely relation. <laughs> Obviously, in a time past, some of these authors, R.C.H. Lenski, a reformer from years ago. We saw also in Ephesians 5 that a man is to nourish and cherish his wife. And again, this is part of the perspective that, that Peter is bringing out and living according to knowledge and as we'll see in a moment and to, to grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is kind of what he's getting at is that a, a husband is to nourish and cherish his wife and he says Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.29, he says for no one ever hated his own flesh but what? What does he do? He nourishes and cherishes it. He says, just as what? Christ also does the church. So what God says here is, men, you're to pour that same nourish and cherish that you would give to yourself. You're to pour that out on your own wife. You're to do that. I know men will find this difficult. Why? Because men will pour themselves out on their wife for a time and then when she doesn't respond the way that he thinks she should, or she doesn't reciprocate in the way that he, you know, cares for her, he will think it's not worth the effort. Well, I tried that. Well, I did this, and, you know, well, you know, I, I tried this, and, you know, what's the point? You know, she's, she's challenging. She's difficult. She does this. She does that. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. As if Christ and his care and nurture for the church is going to be dependent upon how we respond or don't respond. Look, Christ cares for his church. He pours himself out for his church. He loves his church. A a man cares and nourishes and cherishes his own body. So what, what he has to understand is that you have to pour yourself out for your spouse. 
And by doing so, you are bringing blessing to yourself. And again, I'm not talking about just writing blank checks. I'm not talking about just, you know, whatever the wife wants, you know, happy wife, happy life. I'm talking about being a sanctifying influence, being a godly man, understanding, living according to knowledge, understanding what is best for her, understanding what God says is the path of blessing for her. And then celebrating that and, 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 and rejoicing in that and not becoming bitter about it. Because she doesn't think or act or do the same things the way that you do. That's what happens. Colossians three eighteen and 19. Paul there, the parallel to the Ephesian passage, just gives two quick verses. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, you be submissive. This is what honors the Lord. But then he says in verse 19, husbands, he says, love your wives. And notice this, and do not be embittered against them. Why does he say that? Because that's the temptation. Is to become embittered with your wife because she's not like you. Because she doesn't think like you. And you wish that she would think like you. And you wish that she was more like one of your buddies who's so much easier to communicate with. The temptation is to expect wives to be easy to lead. Look, God never promised that leading another sinner was going to be easy. Nor is it easy for her to live with you and all your weaknesses. The reality is that if you pour yourself out on her, you are pouring blessings into and onto your own life. Number three, a husband must honor his wife as an equal recipient of marital blessing. A husband must honor his wife as an equal recipient of marital blessing. Notice what he says, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. The original word there, the Greek word for honor is teme, from where we get Timothy. To honor is to assign worth or to esteem, to, to show respect. But it, it, it's more than just an outward show. It is to legitimately assign or apportion something to someone. Uh, there's a difference because to just show respect, you know, is it's like sometimes with our kids, you know, when they're growing up, we're we're telling you know them, look, just well, you look at you know this adult when you're talking to them, you know, answer them, respond to them, and um, you know most of the time they'll you know okay uh, you know they you know they'll do what we ask them, but is that really showing respect if it's not in the heart? You see. It's not about just playing the part, but it's actually actually thinking and believing that this one is worthy of honor. That's the idea. So it's more than just kind of like show something. And the husband is to live in a way that demonstrates an esteem for his wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life, Peter writes. In other words, a man's view of his wife how he sees her, how God made her, how she is feminine, how she is to be blessed, how she is to flourish, how God has made up her DNA, how she bears burdens, how, how she comes to conclusions, her perspectives, 
is to be balanced by the fact that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is a counterbalance for how you see your wife. So what is a fellow heir of the grace of life? Well, a a fellow heir is what? Someone who receives the same thing as you or an equal part. A fellow heir is someone who receives the same thing as you. Literally, it's the word means inheriting together with. It's the soon word and inheriting. It's you do this together. You do this as equal parties. It's the same term used in the, by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3.6, where he says, to be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs. In other words, equal recipients. He says, and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, both Jews and Gentiles through Christ, through the gospel, they're equal recipients of all the blessings of salvation. And so there the Apostle Paul states that Gentile believers receive the exact same benefits and blessings of salvation that Jews do. There's no difference. There's no distinction. In this context of marriage, both husband and wife are equal recipients. There's no distinction in them as to worthiness of what is to be received. There's no distinctions as to what is to be received. And this is significant because men who are being physically stronger and more dominant as a protector of the home tend to think and think wrongly that they are more important than the wife. It's not so. Peter says no. Men think that they are more intelligent. Men think at times that they are more spiritual. Men think that they are more capable in in life's abilities. And Peter is saying, no. You're not at some advantage. You are equal fellow heirs of this grace of life. In fact, the Greco-Roman culture viewed women as inferior, as less than men. And this is exactly what Peter is confronting, is wrong thinking about how you see your wife. And again, it has to start here with your thinking and your attitude. It's not just about changing your, your, your behaviors. It's about understanding how God has designed this relationship. Men are not superior to women. They are simply different. Men are stronger than women physically. They are different, but they're not superior. In many cultures, if not most, men tend to view women as inferior. And beloved, that is a false assumption. And you're going to find that in a a lot of things, in a lot of scenarios, in a lot of media, in a lot of movies. Women are designed by God to need the husband's protection and leadership. That's why God created Adam and Eve the way he did. He created Adam. He gave them responsibilities first. And then he created the woman from his side to show that she is part of him. She is one with him. She is dependent upon him. They are different in their roles, but they are equal. Men des- or women are designed by God to need the protection and leadership that a husband is to bring. 
But that doesn't make her inferior. She has intelligence. She has dignity. She has an equal share in what God commanded. You you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, where God says He created them. It says male and female He created them. In the image of God, God created them. And He says what? Take dominion of the earth. I've created all this. You are the highest of my creation, my created order. Take dominion, possess it, enjoy it. He says what? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. A wife, a woman is an equal inheritor in all those things. She's an equal participant. So what happens when a husband and a wife have differing perspectives or differing ideas? Well, husbands, you don't have superiority over the wife. She has a perspective. She sees things differently. That's the way God designed it. The husband is called to lead and to shepherd his wife and family, and there shouldn't be condescension when she has a different perspective. You, You should listen, and you should learn from that. Why? Because she is an equal inheritor of the grace of life. She's a fellow sharer in those things. She's a fellow sharer in the intimacy of life. And so men must respect the wife's ideas and perspectives, even if you disagree. And even if she's wrong in something. So, as some would say, men must not demean their wives simply because you disagree on something. And this happens often, is... There's a disagreement, and uh, the man thinks that his idea is superior. And he thinks that that's the only way. So what is he talking about here when he says the grace of life? She's a fellow heir of the grace of life. Well, it's interesting. Commentators differ on interpretation. Some suggest that the grace of life refers to salvation, the grace of eternal life. Um, And while that is true, that both men and women are inheritors of the grace of eternal life, what what Peter does here is he's, he's giving us this extra, this little added phrase as something to provide teeth into what he just said, to show her honor. How? as a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is what brings teeth to his his showing her honor. So some suggest that it refers to the grace of eternal life, that wives are fellow recipients of salvation and its blessings. And while true that both both uh, husband and wife receive heaven by the grace of God and are accepted by God through the gospel, as we just saw in Galatians 3.28, it really does not make sense with Peter's argument that men ought not to be condescending in the marriage relationship if it's just about salvation. I think, and several commentators also it seems best to take the grace of life as a reference to the unmerited blessing of the marital union. The intimate companionship 
in marriage, which is the greatest and richest blessing in this life short of salvation. Look, those of you who are married, you know, you know this. Apart from your salvation, your marriage is the grace of life. It is it is the highest, richest, deepest, most intimate union, most intimate relationship that you can possibly have on this planet in this lifetime. It is sacred. It is it is unique. It is designed by God. It is blessed by God. So just as salvation is by God's unmerited favor and grace, so marriage is a gift of God and his grace. You're married, it's because of God's grace. John MacArthur writes this, he says, Marriage is a divine providence given to man regardless of his attitude toward the giver. Intimate companionship in marriage the richest blessing of this life was a foreign concept to the Greco-Roman culture of Peter's day. Husbands were generally uninterested in friendship with their wives, expecting them to merely maintain the household and bear children. In contrast, the Christian husband is to cultivate all the richness God designed into the grace of marriage by showing honor to his wife in loving, consideration, chivalry, and companionship, end quote. What is he talking about? Marriage is not just some matter of convenience. Marriage is not just about procreation. Marriage is not just about someone to cook and clean the house. Marriage is an intimate union that is to be uh, enjoyed. It's a blessing. It is to be cherished. It is to be protected. It is to be guarded. And so the grace of life refers to all the unique and unmerited blessings built into the husband-wife companionship that God grants according to his will. Even though men and women are designed differently, they see things differently, they're equal recipients and participants of this blessing. Well, why is this so important here? Because men get the wrong idea about marriage because of their design. They think that marriage is solely about his benefit. He blazes his path and he just kind of drags her along and, and her perspectives don't matter, only his. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I have the authority and I'm the head of the household. Do you see how that works? That's wrong. That is wrong. Marriage is not about what the man can get out of the relationship. Listen, women are more vulnerable being in the submissive role. They are designed by God uh, to, be, uh, to, to need masculine protection. She is different. She needs to be cherished so that she can flourish in her role. Because she's different in many ways. Men will tend to think or to be tempted to think that women are a less important factor in the marriage equation. And what Peter makes clear is that she exists for him and he exists for her. It is an equal, it is a, it is a unique blessing. It is unique intimacy in the marriage relationship. And so marriage is not simply about increasing his whatever, his enjoyments, his pleasure, his companionship for him to consume. She is an equal participant of the blessings of intimate companionship for her as well. They exist for her as well. 
And so the point here is that men have to labor in order to apply this, in order to see her as an equal sharer in the marital blessings. And then work and labor so that she can flourish in her role. Guys, this is where we have to do our work. Even though the husband is stronger physically by, by design, he must show her honor and respect as a fellow heir in the marriage and help her to enjoy her femininity as God designed it. So it's not quite so simple It's not just cut and dried. You have to be a learner. You have to study. You have to come under what Peter is saying here. And then you have to view the relationship as something different than what society and what the world teaches. Marriage is a unique blessing. Marriage is is a sanctified relationship. It is a set-apart relationship. That is to honor God And beloved, it begins with your attitude and understanding that she is an equal share in the grace of life. And I'm just telling you, men will come to all kinds of wrong conclusions based on how you were raised, based on how your your parents got along, based on their relationship and others. In fact, often in marriage counseling, I'll ask the couple, you know, would you want the relationship that your parents have? Most would say no. Because they weren't either either willful ignorance or neglect or whatever, or didn't know these things, didn't practice these things. Husbands didn't lead, wives didn't submit. And the relationship was fraught with unnecessary challenges. Look, there's plenty of things for us to be challenged about because of our own fallenness. But we don't need to cause unnecessary trouble and grief by avoiding and ignoring what is clear in Scripture. So men tend to get frustrated because she's different. She sees things differently. She bears burdens differently. She communicates differently. She's not easy to lead at times. She's not always submissive to your leadership. Guys will sometimes, you know, get into a season and they'll just, you know... They don't care. And Peter says you must live with her in a way that respects and cherishes those differences. Those are not something to become embittered about. Those are not something to divide over. Those are things to to recognize, acknowledge, appreciate, and enjoy. Man, do you, you do not want your wife to be like you. She needs to be feminine. She is feminine. She's not one of the guys. And don't expect her to be like one of the guys that you would communicate with. Just as wives, don't expect your husband to be like one of your girlfriends. (laughs) Well, I wish he would just, you know. (laughs) He's masculine. And he communicates differently. You you don't want a girlfriend, and guys, you don't want a buddy in your marriage. Do not cut off the way that God has designed her, men. Just because you don't understand her or you don't understand her perspective 
she is no less an heir of the grace and the blessings of the marital union. So here's some things to think about. Do you find ways to honor her in front of others? Do you find ways to honor her in front of children? I'm not talking about flattery. I'm talking about genuine honor, respecting her ideas, respecting her opinions, respecting her input. Do you do, you do that in front of others? Do you do it in front of the children? Do the children see that? Do you treat her as a fellow heir of the grace of life? Men, are you, are you patient with her in her femininity? I mean, she acts differently, thinks differently, bears burdens differently. Are you patient with her? And do you encourage her and allow her to flourish in her femininity? Well, there's one more imperative here. Number four. A husband must be careful not to sabotage his walk with the Lord. (laughs) He says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your what? Prayers will not be hindered. This is a... Peter is giving a sobering warning here. Your prayers will be hindered, he says, as a direct result of not honoring your wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Let that sink in. I mean, life and the challenges of life and living in a fallen world and and dealing with your own passions and, and dealing with your own weaknesses and coming under the truth and, and, and trying to bring yourself under these things, we need God's grace. Amen? As men, we need God's grace. We need God's grace in loving our wife, in serving our wife, in shepherding our wife, in shepherding our family, in reigning in our own passions. We need God's grace to do that. What we don't need is to cut ourselves off from the only true source of that grace by totally ignoring these things as if it's not important. Listen, your prayer life can get off track if you don't honor her as God has designed her. Men, your relationship in marriage and how you honor or don't honor your wife can have a profound impact on your own spiritual life. This is what Peter's getting at. John 9.31 says, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing, and notice this, and does his will, he hears them. He qualifies it. God doesn't just respond and listen and hear the prayers of of those who are, are just praying things that are selfish, that are sinful, that are unbelieving, that are apart from faith, that are apart from truth, that are apart from his word. But he says that if anyone is God-fearing, in other words, I want to honor God. I want to do what pleases God. That's my heart's desire. It says, and does his will, not wishes to do his will, but does his will. He hears him. Guys, you cannot avoid the will of God in your marriage and expect God to hear your prayers. 
You can't harbor bitterness. You can't harbor unforgiveness. She did this. She did that. I can never let go of this. You've got those list of things in your back pocket that at some point in the future you, you plan to use in some hurtful, harmful way. You've got to get rid of that. James 4.3 says about prayer, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may what? Spend it on your pleasures. You're praying for the wrong things about your wife. You're not praying for good things. You're not praying for God's blessings upon her femininity. You're, you're, you're asking God to satisfy your own sinful desires. Listen, some men pray with disregard for their wife and how God has designed her to flourish. And you try to justify it with, well, you know, she's not always submissive. Or she's not easy to live with. Or, you know, you just whatever you want to come up with. Listen, when, when your wife is difficult to lead, when your wife is challenging, when your wife may even be out of line, that should drive you to humility and prayer. You should be driven to prayer over first your own unworthiness. You don't deserve the grace of life. You don't deserve a wife. You don't deserve the blessings of of marriage. This is all an unmerited favor. And you certainly cannot harbor things. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will what? Not hear. So, So guys, this has to be a time where we examine our own hearts where we search our own hearts out with the spotlight of truth and we have to confess to God areas of and thoughts that are not his will, that are not honoring to him, that demonstrate unforgiveness towards your wife. Why? Because the Lord isn't going to respond to your prayers. That's sobering. Hindered here is a very, by the way, is a very strong term. It's originally a, a military term that speaks of cutting up a road and making it impassable. In other words, when they were in battles, they would try to cut off, you know, we watched all these, you know, you guys watch Grit TV, right? And watch all the Westerns and stuff. You should. Because they blow up, you know, roads and bridges and stuff. Why? Why do they do that? To make it impassable, to try to cut off the enemy. And and this is why I call it sabotaging, because listen, when you ignore these truths and what God teaches for us as men, how we're to view our wives, how we're to live with them in in an understanding way, how we're to show them honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, if if you choose not to give attention to those things, you're blowing up the only bridge to your to the grace of life. You're sabotaging your own spiritual life. John MacArthur writes this. He says, The warning is clearly given that if a husband in Christ is not fulfilling his responsibilities toward his wife, God may not answer his prayers. No more serious divine threat could be given to a believer than that. The interruption of all the promises of prayers heard and answered. End quote. That's right. Don't do that. Another writer says this, God does not bless with his favor those who are in positions of authority and abuse those who are under them by mistreating them. You've got to come under that. Husbands, don't sabotage your prayers. You must remember that your marriage is designed by God to reflect the love that Christ has for his church. 
do your prayers reflect that love and that grace? Well, notice next week we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. As Peter sums up in verses 8 and 9, the section he says to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Listen, beloved, how we as a people respond to one another, how we practice humble submission will have a profound impact on the watching world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these things. Um, As challenging as they are for us to hear as men, thank you that in your grace and kindness that you've shown us in your word what it is that you expect for wives to be submissive, uh, even to their husbands who are disobedient, and for husbands to shepherd their wives and to live with them in an understanding way, and to see them rightly, to see them as a fellow heir of the grace of life, and, and therefore have the right perspective so that they would be blessed and they would flourish in their femininity. Father, we need your grace to do these things. Obviously, um, any man in his own strength cannot do these things. Father, we ask for your grace. We ask for, for those who have yet to yield their hearts to you, that they would understand their condemnation before you because of their sin and that you would convict them of their sin, that they need a Savior, and the only one who, who is perfect and righteous, who could sufficiently satisfy the wrath of an eternal God, is Christ Himself. We know that your Word teaches that He who made, he, uh, that Christ, who knew no sin, you made Him sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice, for his offering of himself. Help us as men to love our wives with that same kind of sacrificial love. Father, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.